0: insurance agents from around the world welcome to the insurance guys podcast powered by glove box god i love glove box my name is scott howell your fearless host and leader insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for i protect insurance and financial services Based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome. He is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama. Parade first team All American, rivals, five star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you? Just back from the One City World Tour. Ladies and gentlemen, do I have a story for you? Oh, God. Many stories. Many stories. From that week. Great week. I, I did what I said I was going to do. I hugged more necks, <laughs> and I got to know more folks that week than I've probably ever gotten to know in my whole entire well, life. There might have been a byproduct of doing that. I'm telling you, there was. So, guys, I got to tell you what happened at the One City World Tour. Nobody knows this yet. I've, I've, I've held off. So, the One City World Tour ended – And I think Bradley and I here in the next few days are going to try to do a podcast and I'm going to call it the the good, the bad, and the ugly of the one city world tour where we kind of recap the one city and, and how it went, but it ended on, I believe Thursday afternoon or Friday afternoon, uh, Thursday, Thursday. Yeah. So my wife and I were going to stay down in Texas. We were going over to round top Texas to go see uh, something that she'd always wanted to go see Saturday morning. I got up. And we were going to just, uh, ease over the round top that day. And I got up and I was sick. Didn't feel good. And I thought, well, it's just a upper respiratory thing. And I have not told Bradley this, this is secret time. Okay. I always get sick when I go to speak at events. So I've gotten with my doctor and I've told him, I said, listen, I cannot be sick for this. Uh This cannot happen. And he puts me on a Z pack the week of the one city world tour z-pack is so crappy it does tell it you. does not work and i start taking that z-pack on like saturday before we fly out on t- uh monday or tuesday morning whatever day it was well saturday the next saturday i get up i start feeling sick and get down to round top texas and i'm trying bradley you know how you're trying to hold it all together Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. trying to hold it all together
1: and adrenaline is the only thing getting it's, you through it's, yeah. it's my
0: wife's birthday my wife's birthday and i'm trying to be husband of the year and take her to go see some things that she wanted to do while we were there we get down there and and uh saturday night i'm sick and sunday morning we wake up she's starting to be sick she's feeling sick now and we've got this upper, upper respiratory thing going on and i'm coughing and she's coughing and we just both feel awful and i said well i tell you what there's a walgreens about 15, 20 miles from here, because we were in the middle of nowhere in Texas. Let's go down there, and we'll get one of those at-home COVID tests and just take it just to make sure we're not sick, sick, you know, mm-hmm. COVID sick. Y'all, we go over there, both pop positive for COVID-19. Mm. Well, now I can't get on an airplane. Not supposed to. I guess I could have, but I, I didn't want to infect a bunch, because I mean, I'm right, right in the middle of it. Yeah. Like, take the COVID test, and it's like 30 seconds later, boom, yeah. you're you're COVID positive. I start driving, and I told her, I said, we're going to drive 12 hours home to Pine Ridge, Alabama. Is it only 12? 12 hours from where I was. Wow. Which nothing sounds worse. We get halfway to New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans Louisiana. I've now stolen the i am now stolen the rental car because I'm out of the state of Texas. And you, I'm in Louisiana. You, That's when I
1: failed. You. you failed to let them know you were driving
0: a car. I, back I texted Bradley in Baton Rouge. I texted Bradley Flowers in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I said, Bradley, you may have to bail me out of jail because I just stole a rental car. So it's
1: funny. Scott called me. I was busy. I didn't answer. And then I get that text and I immediately call him. <laughs> I'm like, what's going yeah.
0: on? Uh, so now I got a stolen rental car. We spent, I could not drive more than six hours. When we got to New Orleans, I was done. It was about 5.30 on Sunday yeah. night, and we stayed downtown, uh, I think at the Marriott in downtown New Orleans. I, I don't even remember any of it. They got our stuff out of the car and took it up to our hotel room. Kim and I went up there. We, both of us took a quick shower, got in bed, turned the lights off, and went to sleep. Do you feel better the next morning? A uh, little bit.
1: A little bit better. So let me ask you this. Did you not – I think what I would have done, I've gone through – the scenarios right i think what i would have done is stayed well, I, in Texas. i was asking you what
0: i should do but well, you fine. were already in
1: baton rouge though oh okay what i think i would have done and it's easy to say right because also when you're sick let alone COVID and you got a fever you're not thinking right, right. either
0: that's one of the reasons i, I hollered at you yeah was, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah I and to, i need to
0: figure this out and
1: i think i would have just stayed at that hotel like three more
0: days yeah, I think there was a part of us though uh, but to, I, I, to rebut that. Yeah. I, you've been gone you since Tuesday. Home, you yeah, just yeah. you're sick and you just won't be home. Yeah. You know. I just don't think I could have made that drive like that. Do you know was, what I mean? It was tough. And so the whole what time, car company think you. they had an APB out on you. Uh, that got real interesting. <laughs>
1: How hard did they yell at you? Uh,
0: I wish I had I, before this podcast, I because I recorded all of it. I wish I had it uh, teed up to play right now. Yeah. But at one point she said, sir, let me explain what our policy is. You are going to have to take that rental car back to the New Orleans airport. And I said, ma'am, let me explain what my policy is. I have COVID-19 and I'm in Pine Ridge, Alabama. And if you think that I'm taking this rental car, Back to the New Orleans airport, you have lost your mind because it was a thrifty rental car. So not even like a big brand. Correct. Yeah, yeah, well, they're yeah, yeah. they're now owned by Hertz, but uh, they keep them separate. Gotcha. I had to drive that rental car back to Birmingham, Alabama, to turn it in. So that's so kind of like how my an hour and, and about an hour and a half. The so the whole ride home for twelve hours. I'm thinking, which one of them some bitches at the One City World Tour gave uh-huh. me COVID nineteen? But you know. I don't I didn't hear of anybody else having COVID. I know.
1: I didn't nobody else caught it there. May not. I don't think you did. I don't I really don't think you did. I think you either caught it at the airport on the way there and you just weren't contagious yet. Right. Or it was somewhere after and you just got sick real fast. But I'll tell you, man, the whole rental car there there is no industry, maybe other than insurance wholesalers, there's no industry that's more ripe for disruption than the freaking rental car industry. It is Awful. The rental cars.
0: car industry needs to but somehow somebody smarter than I am needs to figure out how to turn it into like Uber. Dude, when we landed, well, Toro
1: is trying, but the problem with Toro is because you're dealing with individuals, it's an inconsistent experience. Right. And it's more designed towards like super fancy cars. I want to rent a Ferrari. But right. when we landed in Austin, just so happened the same week, I rented a car because we had the baby with us. And I get there. Everything's lined out. I know like there's no line. Like I've already done the whole check-in thing with Hertz. I prepaid. I get there and my videographer is there too. And he's going to ride with us in the rental car. Well, we found out our hotel was ready. His was not. Uh So I said, hey, we're going to go to the hotel first. I'm going to buy you an Uber to the venue, which is 20 minutes away, by the way. Okay, cool. I was still, I was standing at Hertz desk. When I said that to him, I ordered the Uber. He walked out. I was still standing there when he got to the venue. This is all lined out, guys. It should be: Hey, you already paid. Exactly. I verified you're the same person. Here's the. Key. It's a horrible experience every single time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, I, I I digress. Guys, Let's bring our guest on.
0: Guys, listen to me. I need you to stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Whatever it is you're doing right now, I don't care what you're doing. Pause this podcast. Get all of your producers together especially the the younger guys and girls that are out there that are producing business for your agencies, bring them all together. And let's have about a 45 minute to an hour producer sales meeting. I have got the guy here today. I am so excited to bring him on and I want to get to know him better. He is going by the name of max revenue. This is another, we have another Anonymous Twitter account. I'm going to give the Twitter account- and LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. I'm going to give the account out right now on Twitter. It's at the max revenue. He is a guy that is getting it done every day. We've got a lot to talk about today. I want your producers, your people that are in the field to listen to what this guy is saying. Because what he is doing right now, with not a ton of time in the industry, is he is producing at a level that is going to allow him to live the life that he and his family deserve to live one day. And I need you to get all your producers in one room, tell them to shut the hell up. I know they think they know everything about insurance. They don't and have them listen to this podcast because this is going to be one of those that everybody's going to want to listen to. So without further ado, he is, and this is not a very long intro. He is originally from Florida. He is a graduate of the University of Alabama. I've got a question concerning that. He's been an agent <laughs> for five years, first four with a big, big national firm. We do not know who this guy is, but he's now since January of 2023, he has start started with a locally owned smaller agency in the community that he lives in. He goes by at the max revenue on Twitter. I have actually gone in and looked at some of his website blogs, which you can go to which are phenomenal, phenomenal. You can go to Google Chrome, the max revenue letter, phenomenal blogs. I highly encourage you guys to go look at these. He calls himself a media mediocre at best producer. I love that. He gives an over the shoulder look at how he's building a million dollar book from scratch And shares revenue. That's Revenue. revenue, folks, and shares the many lessons learned along the way. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first time guest on the IGP, and it will not be his last. I give to the entire independent agency force, Max Revenue. How are you, Max?
2: I'm good, man. I do not know how to follow up that intro. (laughs) <laughs> that was uh, that was incredible. You are one heck of a hype man, so kudos to you on that. I'm happy brother, to be here.
0: Brother, we've got so much to talk I, about, and I want these producers to learn something. Go ahead, Brad. I get a little bit taller every time he does it. Every time. Uh, I, every
2: I'll
1: time. say this. There's people that are thought leaders online or attempting to be thought leaders or are just putting content out there and trying to give that o- over-the-shoulder look. And for those of us that are doing it every day, uh-huh. it's very obvious who actually knows their stuff and who doesn't exactly. and who's pretending. Exactly. And Max is one of those guys he's, that he's you doing can tell the damn thing. He's very, doing the damn thing. Very, 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 very quickly. Okay, this person doesn't pretend to know everything. I think that's one of the the differentiators between people who are trying, they seem mm-hmm. to act like they know everything. But the things that he does and he knows, he knows very, very, very well. It's very apparent, very fast.
0: Max, listen to me. I just told 250,000 independent and captive agency owners to pull all of their producers together to listen to this podcast. And a bunch of them are going to do that. I promise you. And I I mean, don't pretend to know everything.
1: Not that I think you don't know everything. I said, you don't pretend to know everything well. (laughs)
0: He probably knows more than I do, and I've been he doing definitely knows more years. than I do for sure. Max, let's start with the start. I want to talk about just for a second climbing my DeLorean with me. Tell me how you kind of fell into the insurance industry going to the University of Alabama and bring us up to today, brother.
2: Yeah, sure. So, first off, got to you, roll tide. <laughs> uh,
1: we'll roll tide, brother. We'll yeah. let that slide. All right.
2: So, yeah, so. University of Alabama, back in the day, was fortunate enough to play some professional baseball and then um, got married and settled down and uh, had no idea what I was going to do for a living, had no special degree, and (laughs) basically, the only way I could make money was to get into sales, and so I would say I did every type of sales that you can do from, say, 25 until... 34. A lot of cold calling. I was a territory rep for a while. I did I did a lot of different things, inbound, outbound, you name it, and uh, really cut my teeth in cold calling. And I stumbled across this industry much like most people do. I had no idea it even existed and kind of got a inside look at this. It was about this time where I could make a, make a move career-wise. I had kind of hit my ceiling in the industry I was in at the time and I learned how this works and the type of money that you could make. And I was, um, saw that there's, you know, a high barrier of entry. You have to have a certain, you have to have some certain technical skills. It's not just every time Dick and Harry can come in here and do this. And I figured, man, this is for me. Yep. So I, I jumped in with both feet, started off with one of the big national firms. And I would say first three years, I would say I failed miserably. Now, failure is subjective, right? But I'd only put a couple hundred in revenue on the books. I guess about year four, I started to figure some things out. My co-captain with Max Revenue brand, if you will, is Mike Casales. And he really kind of took me under his wing and showed me around. I knew the prospecting side of things, but I just, I couldn't get anything over the, I say, I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get, I couldn't convert as much as I needed to, as I really wanted to to put the type of numbers up I wanted. And he kind of took me under his wing. Yeah. Then things started to click. And then about, I guess in January, I don't know when you guys are, are posting this, but in January, I had the opportunity to leave that big firm and come on my own book at a small agency And I figured I could take what I had learned over there and bring it over here, all the same markets, but had seen behind the curtain to see what some of the big boys do in the size book that you can actually build. And uh, I just felt like I was leaving too much revenue, too much commission on the table. So I hopped ship. I had not built that big book yet. um, So I figured I could hop ship while I still had time, didn't have the golden handcuffs on. And yeah, so just been doing the deal since January here.
1: Okay. What was the clicking point? When did everything kind of all come together for you where it was like, Oh, this, this is actually working. What, what was that thing? Cause I think well, a lot of people can point to one thing in their well, career. He, he, said, like, he, this said,
0: was- he said year four. And one of the yeah. questions I had written down for you today was year four. You figured the damn thing out, right? Yeah. You figured the thing out. What was to Bradley's question. What happened in year four that made you have that aha moment where you're like, okay, I I know what I'm doing now. I got this figured out. What was that? If you don't mind telling.
2: No, that's fine. And I'll be honest with you. I'm still figuring things out. I'll be the first one to tell you. I am no guru. I am no expert, man. I'm just a producer out here. That's, you know, trying to find my way. Like everybody else Happen to have a little bit of online acumen so I can, you know, do some marketing and build an audience and and just build in public and bring people along for the ride. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there to begin with. I'm by no means am I a guru or an expert, but I would say if one thing that started to click for me was I just stopped pivoting. And I, I think when you get into the industry, or at least I can only speak from my experience, when I got into the industry, I'm a bull in a China shop. I'm going to do everything and call everybody and Anybody and everybody that has an opinion on how to grow a book, I'm going to listen to them. And then basically what I did was, and I think I put a LinkedIn post up about this, but I basically took all these different ideas and put them together. And I thought that it would make this superior (laughs) sales process. And what ended up happening was it was just this bastard amalgamation of just stuff, competing ideas. I put this thing together that was just, none of it was congruent. One day I'm cold calling, the next day I'm cold emailing. One day I'm quoting, the next day I'm, you know, positioned for BOR. And it was all over the place. Wait a second. Just,
0: Let's, let let me stop you right there because I'm a medium. And I, I was an insurance producer for a long time, a, a long time. And to some degree, I still am. But you said that you made a comment, and I want to make sure all these producers that have now, are now listening to this. Uh, understand what you just said. You said you stopped pivoting. What exactly did you mean by that? Because that term pivoting, there's four or five different intonations of that in the insurance industry when you say that. What exactly do you mean by that?
2: Okay, so stop pivoting. On the first thing it would be, uh, it all starts with your outbound, right? How am I going to build a list? or How am I going to build a list of prospects? Some people might do cold calling. Some people might do email. I did all of it. And first thing I did is I, I stopped and I just picked one and said, I'm going to master this. So first is outbound. Yeah. What so, was the so one
0: you picked? What was the one you picked?
2: I cold out. call. Cold gotcha. Call. I did drop-ins. I did cold calls. I did all kinds of stuff. And a lot of producers
1: get wrapped up in a lot of different things and shiny object syndrome. And I'm going to try to do this over here and this over here and try to be... Something to everybody, whereas Generalist. Whereas, Generalist. whereas and not even just that, just in 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 all of your methods, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, You, yeah, you yeah. may how you know, your prospect, you may be going after one niche, but you're just all over the place rather than just perfecting one thing. And right. I think that's been one of the things too, Max. And I'll let you finish that we've seen with a lot of the real deal producers that we've talked to is they do exactly what you've done. Is hey, look, I'm just going to get really good at this one little thing in this one niche.
2: What was the what was the second thing? I didn't. We didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, it's fine. And the second thing is just like what I'm chasing. So, man, I chased aviation. I chased churches. I chased hospitality. I chased everything. And I eventually narrowed it down to what I wanted to chase. I pretty much do trucking and subcontractors now. But and part of it, and I and I think a lot of the younger producers can and can relate to this, is they don't really know who to listen to, or at least I didn't. You come into a firm or agency, whatever you want to say, and you're like, man, I don't know who actually built their book and who didn't. Sure. You know, or the guy that did build his book, he's sixty-five years old. And when he was doing it, it was because he joined the country club and rubbed elbows with, you know, these guys. And that's how you build it back then. And then you got teed up
1: for success somehow.
2: Exactly. Or you got half the people inherited their book or most of their book, but they don't actually they're not going to be honest about it because they don't wanna, you know, they don't wanna kinda get pigeonholed into being that guy, right? So everybody kinda holds their stuff close to their chest. And like I said, I just kind of took a little bit from everybody. And it just, you know, it'd kind of be like building a car, right? Like you're trying to build this car and you're taking a part from here and a piece from there and this tire and that transmission and you put it together and you think it's going to work and that they weren't meant to go together, right? You Mm -hmm. you have the best of intentions, but it just ain't working. So I eventually settled on, I'm going to cold call. This is my niche and come hell or high water. If I make enough calls, there are going to be people out there that have pain and my message is going to resonate and I'm going to get my share. And again, a lot of this credit goes back to Mike Casalis. He, I actually originally talked to him like year one when I was in the business. I connected with him on LinkedIn, and he gave me his playbook. But it was so damn simple that I just, you know, like most people, I tried to overcomplicate it or take the opinion of a hundred other people.
0: What what but was now, his What was his playbook? Tell me what his playbook was.
2: Pick a niche, make forty calls a day.
0: My next question to you was going to be, and I've got twelve. <laughs> que- I've got twelve questions for you on here. My next yeah. question was going to be. Max, what is your cold call formula? That was going to be my next question. So his formula is pick a ditch. I'm writing everything down you're saying right now. And if these producers aren't, if the agency owner wants to call me, I will chew their ass for you. If I'm writing down these these questions and I'm writing down these answers, all of you need to be writing down those answers. And don't sit there and roll your damn eyes at me like you're doing right now. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. One of the things that he says, Scott, is what is it, the, the, the book from the daddy thing? What's that quote?
2: Oh, it said, uh, don't take sales advice from someone who inherited their book from daddy. Read this newsletter <laughs> instead.
0: So, so I agree. Hey, pick a an niche and make 40, 40 outbound calls a day. Okay, what happens if 27 of those calls, you're leaving a voicemail? Does that count? Or do you have to physically talk to someone?
2: Voicemails count. Oh man, we can really go down a rabbit hole here. I don't Um, need to. Yeah. So it's all about reps. And so this is one of the things that I learned previously early in my sales career is you can actually reverse engineer your numbers to Mm. get where you need to go. Right. So if you know your conversion rate, number of calls to get a decision maker, usually one in 10, number of decision maker discussions to a first business meeting being landed, it's usually about 1 in 4, 1 in 5 if you're good, it's about 1 in 7 to 1 in 10 if you're terrible on the phone. Out of those first meetings, you should be able to convert about half of them into a due diligence review, and by due diligence, that's just a different word for auditing their policy and their insurance program, and out of those, when you go back to pitch your BOR, you're going to land about 1 in 4 or 1 in 5. So you can reverse engineer think of it like a water faucet you can turn it up or down depending on how much business you want to write right and then obviously the higher revenue accounts you chase for every conversion you make that revenue number is just going up i do recommend chasing larger accounts than smaller accounts and mm. and again large and small is all relative so i'm not here to tell you what that minimum revenue looks like yeah you can reverse engineer it 100% right you just have to give it enough time to see the numbers play themselves out like we're in the insurance game right so we're the whole principle is law of large numbers. Correct. Same, same's true in prospecting. So, so um, let
0: me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. I feel like I'm still a producer and I'm listening and hanging on every word you're saying right now. You just said law of large numbers. Couldn't agree with you more. You're speaking my love language right now. Here's what I want to know. 40 calls a day, five days a week is 200 calls, 200 calls a week times four weeks in a month is 800 phone calls outbound cold calls a month. Now let's reverse engineer that. So if you're making 800 calls a month, that's blood bleed or blister. That's going to happen, right? It's not a, Oh, I don't feel like it today. Somebody told me no. So I'm not going to make you calls, more calls today, 800 calls a month back into What that reverse engineering looks like out of 800 calls, how many, Hey, I want to talk to you about this. Do you get out of 800 calls?
2: Yeah. So about one out of every 10 calls that you make, you're going to get the decision maker. Okay. My conversion out of those decision maker discussions is I'm going to get one out of about every four, every five into a meeting, first meeting research meeting. Okay. So if you do, so I'm not great at math and I have a rule against public math, but if my math is right, that's about four to 500 calls to get a first meeting.
1: Hey, I bet you can do anything times 15%, though, can't you?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Actually, I'm in an ENS market. So we're or about 12, 10%.
1: 12,
0: 12, 12, Not 10, 12. Not
2: 10%. Yeah. yeah. And, and I had a contract for 8%. So, yeah, we play a different game over here in my state.
0: 800 calls, you should be getting about 80 people unless you're terrible on the phone. So the first thing you got to do is dial in. You know, whatever script that you have, what you're I'll going give to give you my say, script too. Thank you. Whatever script you have, you've got to kind of already, here's what I've been telling producers for some time now. It is especially in the home and auto market, you should have a rebuttal to every single thing they're going to say, because after you sell home and auto insurance for about a year, I can just about tell you based on everything that I say to that person what the two or three responses are coming back to me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there should be no time that you don't already have, like, I know what they're going to say. So I know what I'm going to say back.
1: Well, also what happens too, and you guys, the listeners have heard me say this is the person who's the best at prospecting is going to have the most sales because if you're not good at sales, either the numbers work themselves out where you have enough volume that it just, it happens. Right. Or which is, this is normally what happens. You get better at the sales process because you hear the same questions over and over and over. Uh-huh. And you you are refining your rebuttals to their you rebuttals. Should be.
0: You should be, correct.
1: And I think so, commercial, I think there's less rebuttals in by, commercial by the than side, there
0: are in home and audit. Probably right. You're probably right. So 80, 80 calls back or 80 people that say, hey, I want more information on that. Out of that 80 out of 800 in a month, you're going to be looking at
2: getting what? 10 to 20 of those are you are actually going to meet with and write their business? Yeah. About 20%. 20% I'm going to meet with. Correct. Now out of the ones that I meet with about half of those, I'll let you do the math as you go. About right. half of those will be willing to let you do a due diligence, basically let you present. And I only work on BORs. I do not quote. We don't practice. So, what, Right. I don't need practice. So then out of the ones that you present to, only about one in four or one in five of those are going to sign a BOR. Got you. So I'm guessing if my numbers are right, that's about one and a half to two. That's
0: correct. Yeah, I believe two.
2: Yep, and I have a prospecting tracker that I use that basically helps me back into the numbers. But if I follow that formula, I will write 12 to 13 new accounts at an average revenue size of 15,000 in revenue a year.
0: Okay. So my next question was this, you are gaining a following, whether you know it or not, you are on Twitter, on LinkedIn. You've got this incredible, uh, blog that you're doing now that anybody can go look at. It's the the max revenue letter. It's a website blog. Basically, what is the biggest challenge slash DM slash question that you get from producers? Cause I know a lot of them have to reach out or some of them have to reach out to you.
2: Yeah, sure. A lot. Is,
0: is it what we just talked about? Like, how are you doing this?
2: Yeah. It's basically what do you say when you get them on the phone and how do you ask for a BOR? Yeah. Let's go into that. Yeah, how sure.
0: should, how should someone, if they're a producer and they're in the middle market or they're writing some, you know, pretty good size, small commercial accounts and we could sit here and talk for two hours about the definition of, It seems like every carrier has a different opinion of what middle market or small commercial is, but we don't want to get into that. What
1: you run into too when when you're venturing off into commercial we did two years ago is you realize really quick that this is not the first time a BOR has been presented to these Mm -hmm. business owners. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them even are very adverse to doing that. So I'd love as you said, to hear some of the verbiage that you guys use and how you asked for it effectively.
0: I got another question for you too before we even get yeah. into this. What is the difference between a BOR and an AOR? Just the way you say Nothing.
1: it. Yeah.
0: That's what I thought. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I keep, I hear some people call it an AOR and some people call it a BOR. So I just, I didn't know what the difference was it's like. So tomato, tomato. So our process of getting a client. To sign a BOR, Max, go go for it. Tell us oh, what sure.
2: Uh To set the table, if you don't mind, can I hash out why you should sell with BORs versus Lord, y-
0: Lord, yes. Absolutely. Please.
2: Okay. So this is one of the many good takeaways that I have from working at one of the big firms. You know, you get a lot of, um, I've talked with a lot, of, a lot of other agents that talk about, they, they hate BORs and they're like oh man well that's that's cheating you just come in with a bunch of smoke and mirrors and you you I know to, you
0: r- I'm going to raise my hand Max I used to be in that camp I used to be in that yep. camp
2: Yep Well here here's why here's why I do it number 1 I am not a vendor I want you I want to find clients who are going to treat me like their general counsel like their CPA I'm not a vendor I'm a trusted advisor okay and So are you by saying going this in them? Yeah 100% And all along the sales process, you can read this in the newsletter. It talks about it. Basically, I'm looking for the people to self-select in who want that, who are not tire kickers. Because if I'm not selling with a BOR and I'm quoting, then it's just a race to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's whoever can get there first or who happens to get the hot market. And I tell them, I tell the client or the prospect, I say, listen, how do you know that guy even knows what he's doing? He might just go get the hot market. He might have no idea about the niche or the vertical industry that you're in, right? You're letting the carrier choose who your agent is. It is by far in your best interest to hire your agent first, interview multiple agents, interview me, interview other people, it doesn't matter. Find the guy or gal that has expertise in your industry, that has market access, and that has the service that you're looking for and they have the the compatibility from a... um, personality yeah. that you fit with, hire them, then let them go to the marketplace. And also, Mr. Business Owner, it is not in your best interest to quote because especially if you're in an ENS market and you're going out and you're getting monoline this and monoline that, you know, agent one, if you're quoting agent one may go out and get the best auto number. Meanwhile, agent two, they've got the best excess number. Mm. Meanwhile, agent three, they got the best, you know, whatever pollution number that they have. And then now you're not actually getting all the best puzzle pieces to put together in a program. So it's just not in the client's best interest in my humble opinion, and it's not in my best interest. So I'm just not going to do it. I don't want to be a vendor. Now, as far as what I say on the phone, it's very simple. I call in, somebody's going to answer. If I I'm going to call the decision maker, if I have their cell phone number, I'm calling the cell phone number. I'm not going through a gatekeeper if I can, if I can deal with it. And then I just, I just ask them, I say, Bill, are you in charge of the insurance program? And he's going to say yes or no. And if he says yes, then I just say this very simple opener. I say, Listen, quick question. Do you guys ever do any due diligence around your insurance program? And he's going to say one of two things What is due diligence? Or he's going to say, We already have an agent. Well, of course, he already has an agent. That's the worst rebuttal. (laughs) That's the worst rebuttal of all time, right? Like they're just trying to get you off the phone. But what I'm doing when I ask about the due diligence process is kind of what they call poking the bear or it's kind of a pattern interrupt. They're asking you, what is due diligence? Now, I get to deliver my prop, my value proposition without actually pitching it to him or her. Mm -hmm. Right. So then so then my response is, yeah, obviously you have an agent. If you haven't figured out by now, I'm an agent. And to be honest with you, you're probably happy with your current agent. That being said, a lot of people right now, especially in this economy, trying to pinch every penny, they wonder, you know, am I leaving money on the table or is there a hole that I don't know about in my coverage? I provide those answers without disrupting your current broker relationship. So now I've told that person what I do and I actually haven't even pitched it to them yet. They asked me what I do. They asked me what due diligence is. So it just kind of takes the whole salesy hard sell thing out of it. And they're going to say, yes, or they're going to say, tell me more about it or they're going to give me a rebuttal. And both of them, I'm ready.
0: Let's say, let's say they give you a, they say, I want to hear more about it. What do you say?
2: I say, great. What's your schedule look like next week? (laughs) Yeah. Let's get together.
0: What if they they say, brother, we're happy with what we got. What do you say to that? I say, all right, I go on to the next one. Some will, some won't. God bless who's next. Who's next brother. Okay. Last question, and then Bradley's telling me we got to go. we got to get you back on this podcast. We need to do this for about an hour and a half. One of the things that you're really good at is prospecting. You feel like you've got that dialed in pretty well. Talk a little bit about prospecting, and then give us second part. Give our audience a little bit of some other things that you learned working for a major, big, national firm.
2: Yeah, so kind of earlier to the prospecting tracker, It's a numbers game and you need to know your numbers. If you're going to prospect effectively, there are people out there who are either born into, you know, big families with big names in their city, or, you know, they just happen to, they know a lot of people. Well, I'm not that guy. I actually, where I live is not my hometown. Um, So I had to build from scratch. And so numbers are key. And what a lot of people do, and I've seen this a lot is, is make a couple calls do some drop-ins, send some emails, but there's no system to it. There's no tracking. uh, And that's just a recipe for disaster. In my opinion, I think you start out with three to 400 names. You can go use MyEdge, ZoomInfo, ReferenceUSA. Those are all databases. You can go find businesses, print you out 300 to 400 names in your industry and start from the top and start working your way down. And then what was the sec? Oh, the big takeaways from working uh, with a big firm would be sell with BORs you are the prize and that should be your framework. Someone mm. out there has pain and you can solve that pain for them. And you shouldn't put up with people who don't respect your expertise or respect what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And that's, preach, not brother, set, preach. that's not to set you that Honey's you're above anybody up. else. But, but a lot of times, you know, it's like we, we're so desperate for revenue that we take on anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it actually becomes a, a limiting factor, right? Because when you have those high maintenance clients or you're chasing those lower revenue accounts, it actually ends up clogging the wheel and you can't be as efficient. So I would tell you to chase bigger accounts, chase people who respect what you do and sell with BORs to sell on value, not on price.
0: Well, one of the things I have some heartburn with my people about is the last month or two, I've had a couple of people come to me in my agency and talk about how they're just not geared for cold calling. It's just not their thing. Everybody in my agency, everybody with maybe the exception of Jess Miller, she would be the exception who, by the way, sold more than anybody else in our agency this month, all want to do passive marketing. Mm -hmm. We probably spend four or $5,000 a year in postcards. Now they're pretty cool postcards. They're, Hey, I've changed agencies. Maybe it's time for you to make a change too. And some really like cool, creative postcards, 95% of them end up in the, in the garbage can, right? You okay. get them out of your post, your mailbox at your house. You go in, you're going through your mail. You look at it, you throw it in the garbage. What do I say to the producers in my agency that tell me, look, Scott, I'm just not geared for cold calling
2: match answer. I'd say you're hiding and just, I'd say you're just afraid of rejection, honestly. I I mean, if we're, if we're going to be in sales, which is ultimately what this is, if we're going to be in sales, you've got a prospect and cold calling is the fastest, most effective way to open a door period. I,
0: I just had a conversation that should have been a podcast in the green room of the one city world tour with Ryan Hanley, where I put him on my therapy couch because he said, the exact same thing that you just said, except he he was the guy that says, I hate cold calling. I can't do cold calling. I'm not going to do cold calling. My response to Ryan was you need to figure out from a psychological standpoint, what it is about cold calling that your trigger is, is it a feeling of abandonment that someone gave you when you were younger Was it a mother, father, uh, coach that told you you weren't good enough? So now you have this this feeling inside you that when somebody rejects you, it is a big damn deal. Because I would say 95% of producers I know that don't want a cold call, it's that feeling of rejection that somebody just told me no.
2: Yeah, 100%. So Micah, my partner on Max Revenue, and I just recorded a podcast this morning. Quick shout out, sorry. Max Revenue Show, wherever you listen to podcasts. There you go. Yep, yep, got to get it in. So actually we talked about that today, cold call reluctance. And here's the thing, to whoever this is, and I know Hanley's got his own thing going on. I've talked to him. He's, I think he's, I really like how he thinks and I like how he's disrupting things. But to whoever it is, cold call reluctance is totally normal. I've made thousands of calls in this industry and other industries. If I take a couple days off, it's like chewing razor blades that first day back on the, Mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, it it sucks for everybody, but it's just like going to the gym. It's a muscle, right? And Scott, I see those biceps. I know you've had some time under the bar. It's just something that you got to do. It's, it's a daily habit. You're going to go in, you know, that the first couple are going to suck. But once you get past that, Right. Like once you get past that first week, getting back into the gym, it's all it's that much easier. It is a there is a spectrum. It's not like it's going to always be tough. It's just in the beginning. But once you get past those first couple calls, once you get to the end of the week, you start week two, man, you're rolling. Have the right message for the right person at the right time and you will get meetings 100 percent. Well, you're going to have to eat some crap to get through it. But, you know, they say, you know, if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. So get to it.
0: So to your point, I will rebut you, though. I believe that competence equals confidence. I believe that there is a certain personality type out there that does better with cold calling than other personality types. I think your voice your tonality, how much you study what you're doing and what you're saying. I tell people all the time, if you want to see how you're doing on a cold call, go back and listen to the last five or 10 cold calls that you just made, because that can give you some indication of areas where you need to improve. I think so many people start cold calling. They don't ever change anything. They don't change their approach. They don't figure out what people are going to say to them and how they need to respond. So they never get better. They just, they're just doing it. They're just doing it. It's like baseball analogy. If your swing's not working, you might need to, th- there might be something you need to tweak or get back to, but you've got to figure that part of it
2: out. Would you agree, Max? Yeah, hundred percent. I definitely think, and that kind of goes back to the. I had, a, I,
0: had a, I had a little girl in my office. I wanted yeah. to make cold calls one time, Max. This was two or three years ago. She's not with me anymore. She had the voice of a 13 year old girl. you know how little 13 year old girls talk? She had that little 13-year-old girl voice, but she wanted to be in sales. And I said, Amanda, you can't be in sales because nobody's going to talk to you in commercial insurance with you talking like you're 13 years old. What are you talking about? Do do you hear your voice right now? Do you understand that you're talking to me and I think I'm talking to a 13-year-old little girl? Max, help me out here. Yeah.
2: I honestly, I think anybody can cold call. I hear what you're saying, Yep. but all that to be said, I'm not saying that you can't do drop-ins. I'm not saying that you can't do emails. I am not all in on saying that only you can do one, but whatever it, I would say, whatever you choose, master it yep. and know your numbers. Yep, yep. absolutely.
1: I, one thing too, I want to point out, and then, and then I'll let Scott close us. People think there's this narrative out there now, especially amongst young people, the Gen Zs and the younger millennials, that success is linear, that every step or every move you take in your career is a linear step. In other words, one, two, three, four, right? You're moving up. Mm -hmm. Success does not look like this. It looks like this. Right. And sometimes you have to take a step back in order to take a step forward. Correct. Right. I want to commend you for recognizing, hey, I'm at this big firm, right? I don't want to get to the point that I have the golden handcuffs. Right? I'm ready to make a move that, that at least initially probably somewhat felt like a little bit of a move back, but you know that's going to set you up to be ahead, and eventually you're going to be ahead of where you were. And so I want to commend you for that. I think a lot of people, especially younger folks, are and I sound like an old man saying that I'm 34, but are very set on oh if I have a career change, it's got to be a move forward. When initially it doesn't always look like that, you know, you're not seeing the forest for the trees. And oh yeah, this company right here might pay me more, but this one right here has a higher ceiling. But they don't want to pay me more in the beginning, or it's a it's a move back, or I have to drive 10 minutes further, that sort of thing. You know what I mean?
2: 100. percent I, I definitely agree. I've I have definitely gone back more in my thirties than I did in my twenties, hundred percent, but it's, I try to think in decades, not days. And I think that comes with just getting older. I'm by no means am, am not wise, but it's like, where do I want to be when I'm 50? Not where do I want to be when I'm 35? Yeah. So you got to have the big picture at play.
0: And I want to close this thing out with two things. Number one, prospecting. I believe the telephone is the greatest sales tool that has ever been made. I believe that every single producer needs to make 800 phone calls a month. I also believe that as part of that process, you also need to include passive ways of marketing. You know, they always say it takes seven times of, of, of reaching somebody before before they're ready to buy a lot of a lot of times.
1: I think the better you do the cold calling, the better the passive stuff works because right. it gives you the room. It gives you the space to do
0: that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it, it gives you. I agree, it, agree. I think if Scott Howell made 800 phone calls a day, I mean, I'm sorry, a month, 800 calls or a, a day, month, Or a day. 40 a day. That's more than that. Some people can do it. It's tough. But if Scott made 40 phone calls a day uh, over a month and then followed that up three days later with a video email to that prospect, introducing myself again, Hey, Jim, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you talking to me. Followed that up three days later with a postcard to his office or home. Followed that up with maybe a letter or something else. About four or five of those, I think my overall close ratio and my overall revenue as a producer would go up some. I don't know how much, but it would probably be, in my opinion, 10 to 20%. So I don't want people to think that I'm just Mr. Cold Call and that's all you need to do. But I do think there's a place for passive marketing. But yeah. I also believe it has there, at some point somebody's got to pick up the phone and call somebody. Right. The last thing yeah. I'm going to say, Max, before we get off this podcast, you mentioned it briefly earlier. I want you to tell these people how they can find you, where they can go to reach out to you, uh, the podcast, the blog. I want to hear about all that.
2: Podcast is the Max Revenue Show. Wherever you listen, and then if you, what I'd really like for you to do, if you like what we talked about. I will trade you your email address for a newsletter in your inbox every Sunday. Boom. And it'll be the best newsletter that you have read in the industry.
1: I would agree with I, that. I
2: don't, I, don't, I don't know that. I'm just making that up. No, I, I, would, I, like I it, would agree with I'm,
1: that. No, no. I, I, I think partial. that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, go to maxrevenueletter.beehive.com. And Beehive is B-E-E-H-I-I-V, Com, And I will trade you your email address for a newsletter in your inbox every Sunday.
0: if they want to reach out to you on Twitter, how do they find you?
2: At The Max Revenue. I will be honest. I'm not as active on Twitter like you boys are. More LinkedIn, at The Max Revenue. Okay.
0: Brother, I appreciate you being on the show today. For all you producers out there that are listening to this, great information. You need to go get the newsletter, follow my boy here. He's doing great work. He's helping people in the industry. I just appreciate you so much. Taking the torch that Bradley and I started back in 2017, it always gives me a sense of pride and a sense of purpose to see people like you that are taking the torch and running with it and trying to help other insurance agents out there. It makes me very proud. Proud. Thank y'all
2: for having me and thanks for starting it yourself. Y'all took the arrows. You're the pioneers. So thanks. I appreciate you saying that guys, you were listening to the
0: insurance guys podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this show today. And as I end every episode, rewards come from action, not discussion, get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go make your 40 calls today. I know, I know you don't want to do it. Go do it anyway. 800 calls a month back into the numbers. Find a niche out there and go get to it. Go make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund, for your parents and in-laws that are struggling out there. Go live the life that Bradley Flowers and I and Max know that you deserve to live. Go live that life. We know you deserve to live and write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Max. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Max. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast.
2: Take care.